On today's show, we talk with Cameron Brumbelow, from lawyer to line producer. Find out his story. Movie Making with Rennell Golden is brought to you by Samira Entertainment, supporting indie films and the filmmakers who create them. Stop by their website to learn more, www.samiraentertainment.com. That's www.samiraentertainment.com. Hello, everybody. I am here with Cameron Blumbelow. Did I say that right? Brumbelow. Brumbelow, yes. And he is a producer, line producer, UPM, the all-around important guy on set that keeps us on track and on budget. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just uh, recovering from wrapping on our our last movie and uh, planning ahead for, for a pickup day on another movie. Oh, that's so exciting. And you're over there in uh, on the Gulf Coast in uh, Florida. Yeah, I'm over here in Pinellas County. Uh, we do most of our filming in Pinellas County for the incentives that they have. And then we also film a few days in Hillsborough County to get that incentive as well. Um, so the film industry over there is kind of, it's really getting pretty steady for feature films. People, I, I hear about a lot of stuff going on and i see that um i think it's hallmark channel or lifetime they're coming in there and they're making movies and how are you finding it to be these last few years through the pandemic it was slow for a little bit i think once they came up with the procedures for us to be able to get back to work and do the covid testing that it was something that allowed us to jump sort of right back in with the incentives that we had coming from both pinellas and hillsborough uh, most of these have been, you know, lower budget uh, made for TV movies. So I know when, you know, Danny Roth was here last year, he made 11 features in 11 months. And, oh, wow. And yeah, it was a lot. Um, it, it beat up on the crew a little bit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they were definitely ready for a break after that. Um, They're like, dude, it's Christmas. Can we have a little time off? <laughs> they they really did. Wow. And, that I is think- so cool, though. I'm so, so happy to hear that because, you know, my roots are in Tampa. And just to know that that's happening over there is it just makes me just excited and proud. And and you yourself, you come from like a unique background. Like, how did you get started and enter into this world as a UPM in entertainment? Because I know you have a law background. I think you studied uh I want to say forensics or something else too. Yeah. So yeah, my background is as a lawyer and it tied me into this industry really by fluke because it it, it really started with my kids. Um, we were, my law firm had a retreat every year down in the Keys. Oh, wow. And one year we were driving down to the Keys and one of those, you know, silly commercials comes on the radio. Like, does your kid want to be the next Disney star or whatever? <laughs> however they say it. I went through that too. <laughs> yeah. So, so my kids were like, oh, we want to do this. We want to do this. And I'm like, this is a fraud. You know, they shut them down every couple of years and then they reopen under another name. And, oh yeah. you know, I was like, so let me, you know, let me call your aunt or whatever. Cause I knew my sister's daughter had been in a legitimate Disney commercial when she was like three and okay. uh, they absolutely hated it and never wanted to do it again, but they had legitimate representation and, and of course, access to the, the casting directors and the sites that we didn't know about at the time. Right. Uh, 
So she put us in touch with the agent and we were able to get headshots and and sign up. Uh, the agent was Melanie Hurt at the time, who has since now retired. Right, right. Um, so this was probably five or six years ago. Okay. Um, and, you know, my daughter booked a, a national chocolate milk commercial within the first six months or so. So we just thought, hey, this is great. This is just how it's going to be. Um, oh, my goodness. That's actually really cool and fast. It was. And of course, it it wasn't like that uh, ongoing. So it took probably another year and a half to to book another, you know, bigger commercial. Oh, wow. Uh, but as we started doing it, we started, you know, these films started coming here to Pinellas County. So we had A Taste of Love, which was one of the first ones, which will now be premiering at Sunscreen Festival next week. Oh, that's so uh, cool. Oh, wow. And yeah, so we had we had the home, you know, that one's not sold to Hallmark, but it was built for Hallmark. And then right after that, we had South Beach Love, which was a Hallmark movie. Now, were your kids in these or is this now you? They've they've kind of gone on to do their own thing or were they a part of it, too? We did some background work together on those. OK, um, not speaking roles. I was given like a featured role uh, in South Beach Love, but I still didn't have any lines. Oh, wow. Um, it wasn't until we started doing that that we actually decided we wanted to try and transition away from commercial work into TV and film. Um, oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah, it was at that point, I think, that we we switched over to uh, 22 Talent. And so we've switched and signed exclusively with Susan at 22 Talent for TV and film. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, she's amazing. Uh, the number of auditions that we got for uh, Atlanta went from maybe one every three months to five or six a month. Oh, that uh, that's actually huge. So and so you're still um involved in this with your kids? No, my son's moved on. He moved on to basketball at first and then oh, now that makes he's sense. Away. Yeah, he he um he actually films sports now. Oh wow. How old but, are they? I'm being nosy and you don't have to do no, no, that. Um uh, my my son is 18, so he got into the digital media production program at Florida State. Oh, way cool. That's so cool. Yeah, so he's finishing his freshman year up there, and my daughter is now a junior uh, in high school, and she actually just got done. She's big on theater, so she sings and dances, and I don't do any of that. I uh, love that, though. You're uh, probably their biggest fan, and and hopefully they're yours. <laughs> it's been great. Uh, you know, the odds of all three of us ending up in the same industry was unlikely. Um, Wasn't although, on the books, right? You weren't planning yeah. on it. <laughs> And I've never had, I've never pursued anything creative. You know, I I started doing this because of my daughter. When we first went and signed up with an agent, the only reason I got representation at all was because they said, oh, she'll book more if you submit as a family. And I hear that a lot from people that they take their kids and then they're like, well, do you act? And next thing you know, they're signed up too. And and they are doing things as a family. And then they go on to do it and their kids kind of outgrow it. How did you make the transition to actually working as an LP? Because you're you're the perfect choice with your background. This just makes sense that you would do this type of work. But how the heck did that happen? Well, and I was actually hoping to skip line producing. Oh. You know, <laughs> I really enjoy being a UPM. I love being on set and, and running the sets with the producers. I was hoping to skip to producing only right after that. But, oh. but yeah, this production company that I'm with now had a need and it was something that with my background, I was capable of doing. So I've transitioned and, and it's sort of a hybrid position. So I'm really a line producer slash UPM for right. this particular group. Right. Um, 
they can they are kind of interchangeable in in these smaller productions for sure you have to wear you know both hats yeah wow. the budget just doesn't support having both in a situation like this yes yeah and and quite yeah. often that is the case but anybody that can have either or or you know a combo they're really smart because i think that particular position you got to stay on budget and these lower budgets if you screw up at all and you're not on budget you could be done like where do you you can't pull money out of a hat last minute it, it's super scary so somebody like you coming in and keeping people on track especially the upm uh role it, it's huge it is and did you end up liking it i enjoy it a lot i if i could do it full time i would do it full time and and i'm hopeful that the the business keeps coming um, you know, after Danny Roth left, this group came in, they're doing a slate of five movies. Um, the one that we just wrapped, Valentine's Town, is the fourth of their slate of five movies. So I've got DNA murders starting next month. Oh, wow. That I'm working on right now. And, you know, hopefully after that, there'll be somebody that comes in. Now that we have a new film commissioner over here, I'm hopeful they'll start writing contracts on the 2024 budget, which will start October 1st. Oh, um, that's good. Yeah. What do the shoot schedules look like nowadays are for you? Are you do, is it like three weeks straight or how does it work? All of these have been, except for this last one where we, we cut to 12 days to be able to run two cameras the whole time. Oh, right. But other than that, it, it has been, you know, we do 90 minute features in 13 days. Wow. That's some serious work. How do you manage that? Because you you also run a, a, a very um, successful law firm and you have that side of your your life as well. How do you kind of balance the two? So it's gotten busy enough that this year I've actually brought on another attorney to help me cover the litigation side of things. When a case is pre-suit, I've got the flexibility to be able to review things when I have time. So even if it's after a 12-hour day, I can go back and I can review medical records. I can review demands and things like that. Oh, wow. Okay. When you have a court date, it's a little different. And so if we have a movie that's going to go at a certain time and I already had a deposition or a mediation or a court hearing on the on the books, now my associate can cover that for me. Oh, that's good. All right. That is it's fair. a good problem to have. Yeah, we're we're busy on both ends of it. Um, so both, but I enjoy both. I obviously would would love to transition more into film if if the business keeps coming. Do you have any kind of advice for filmmakers on the uh, the legal, the UPM side? Like, I know a lot of indie filmmakers. We just, you know, we don't know. And I'm a big proponent of you know getting releases and documents signed and following the budgets, but what advice might you share with a filmmaker that could save their ass? Excuse my language, but you must have think, some. Yeah, some of the stuff that I've seen that crosses into the legal side is more about making sure that your agreements, even with crew, that it that it's work for hire type stuff. You know, I've I've had other filmmakers come to me with situations where they've hired a, a, a film company and the film company will claim that they own the rights to the footage that they recorded. Oh and gosh! Yeah, if you don't have a work for hire agreement uh, in place, then that argument holds some water to it uh, based on the case law. So, as long as you're upfront with everybody about the fact that it's work for hire and you're paying your crew, uh, you know you should be safe. You should but be. Uh, a lot of uh, filmmakers don't even like. This is a term that I 
you know, when I hold workshops for people and I, I bring in like my personal attorney, this is a term that it holds a lot of weight to your success in getting distribution, but chain of title. Yes. And getting all of those contracts in order is so critical because we go to our distributors. What's the first thing they ask for? Where are your documents? It and is part of the deliverables. You know, the QC and the legal are the two biggest delays that that I see coming with these distribution agreements is, is that if you can't deliver, I worked on radar a year ago uh, with Marty Poole. It was almost a year to the to the date. And oh, wow it got held up in legal for so long that it's just now, you know, going to have a theatrical release at the end of June. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, that's a shame. And, and, you know, I used to hear that, you know, until now that I've have experience in this, but I used to always hear the term, E O insurance. Oh, let that handle it or don't worry about it. But the thing that you don't know is that that, you know, insurance is really expensive. And the less you have to back up your film, the more expensive that's going to be. So what about for for budgets for filmmakers? Like, what do you do you have any recommendations for like how they prepare their budget, how they can stay on budget? Obviously, I would recommend a UPM when possible, but I've done films where I've kind of had to serve that purpose as well. And it's very stressful to do that and direct and <laughs> So I'd love to hear your advice for people, your thoughts. Well, the first thing I would say is, is always budget for a location manager. It has been night and day working on some of these films and having somebody who is dedicated to both helping you secure those locations, uh, helping you secure the agreements for those locations. And then when you're done getting the releases from those locations saying, hey, there's no damage here and we're not going to come back and make a, a claim on your insurance. Um, oh, yeah, that's that's actually a really good point because a location release might not be enough sometimes. Yeah, we do both. We do the location agreement, you know, that gets us in the door, talks about the rate that we're going to pay for that location, which is also something that allows me to be involved in the budgeting portion of it where I can say, okay, you know, we can move it from this location to this location, but that means we're going to need X number of free locations. If we're going to spend all the money here, you know, we've got to do different things. Sometimes my location manager will come to me and say, hey, we can, you know, we can set our production office up here if we order lunch from them this day. And that affects catering budgets and things like that. So it's oh. there's a lot of involvement with that. That, But having a location manager allows me to sort of keep in, in touch with that from a distance and still know, keep my finger on the pulse of exactly where the money is going. Because uh, on a movie like Valentinestown that we just did, locations were everything. You know, and so in order to have Main Street in the movie, we had to convert an entire, you know, block of Dunedin into Valentinestown. Oh, wow. So approaching each of these store store owners and getting their permission to dress up their stores and put them in the movie, you know, requires budgeting. And so those are things that that we look at and talk about that we have to plan ahead for because, you know, it's going to be an expensive art movie and it's going to be an expensive locations movie. That that is really cool that you guys did that, though. When somebody's going to work with a UPM, let's say it's a little bit bigger project. When should they bring the UPM in on the project prior to funding, after funding the whole time? Just (laughs) What do you think? I, I personally think as many days as possible. I think, you know, for these movies that we're doing right now, the budget just doesn't allow it. I think I get seven or eight prep days 
on a on a movie. So sometimes oh. you are donating, you're donating hours. And so sometimes the bank accounts aren't even opened up and the payroll company isn't even hired when I'm involved in doing work. But um, that makes all the difference, right? Just having your eyes on that ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. You still want to put a good show on. So, you know, you save it and say, okay, well, I didn't work a 12-hour day today. I'll just, I'll add it together. I'm not going to be that type of employee where I worked one hour and I'm going to charge them a 12-hour day. So there I, are I, a few of those. <laughs> yeah, and I just feel like like it balances out in the end. Um, it makes the show run smoother. It, it makes me look better, and it makes things easier on me actually. At the end of the day, because everything is set up and in place, when I start to onboard crew, that it's a smoother process when we get to that point. Right. So if I have a movie I want to start on, and I'm I'm at the point where okay, I'm I'm going to do this movie. I know I have some investors to take it to. It would be kind of wise or advantageous for somebody to go ahead and say, Hey, Cameron, can you take a look at my budgets or, you know, kind of give me some input right from the get go? Yeah, I would usually when I approach investors want to have both the budget and sort of the plan to get them their money back. Uh, Like over here, we use the incentives as a as a guaranteed money that will be returned to the investors. So over here, it's not it's not a tax incentive. It's actually just a rebate. So right. you can scale all the way up to 25% in Pinellas County. So if you're, you know, we make $400,000 movies or these guys make $400,000 movies. They're getting can, a chunk. They're never going to get the 30% because they're not truly family friendly, which is what it takes to get to 30%. But you can get to 25% with a thriller just by putting in a certain number of locations and beauty shots into the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I haven't looked into over there in a while. That That's really good. Yeah, wow. it's, 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 it's a lot. It, it sort of becomes like a billboard for Pinellas County. Right. Right now, to get to 25%, you got to do 10 locations and 20 beauty shots. But wow. if you have a montage, you could do it pretty quickly and not really affect the, you know, the substance of the movie. That's great. And, and you're promoting Pinellas County, which is a great county. I've lived there most half my life. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I love it here. I mean, it would be great if I could continue to sleep in my own bed and work making movies. That oh would my be, God. That's like a dream of mine, but I don't know. <laughs> exactly. That it's, would be so you good. Know, but five years ago, you know, five years ago, it wouldn't have even been possible for me to transition to, you know, working in movies and running the law office at the same time. It just didn't exist. Wow. Well, you know, life is kind of amazing that way. You, you never, never know. So um, I know once in a while you you do a little acting too. Have you had any like roles that you just you just loved? Any so dream it's roles? Been tough. It, you know, I, I actually did a role in your Transcend at one point. Um, yes, you did back with uh, Danny Chung. So that was a while ago. And I, you know, I continued to do the acting. I got into acting classes because that was what the agent required uh, for us to begin to transition to TV and film. Um, uh-huh. The only drawback to that has been since I've been doing the production side of it is as I've had to book out a lot with my agents. Oh, wow. So I, <clears throat> yeah. And I and I try not to get dropped. So I do as many auditions as I can in between films so that they know I'm still trying and not. Yeah. Wood, you know, fortunately, I have been able to book enough that my agents have not dropped me. And, you know, I'm actually on hold for a SAG commercial down in Miami, which is cool. It's very it's gonna cool. run. Probably right before, yeah, I'm hoping I can squeeze it in right before the start of Sunscreen Festival because we have some talent coming in for that 
uh, that I'm responsible for and need to to be able to juggle. So if you had to pick in in an ideal world, if you know, like your dream job in the film industry on camera or off? Gosh, that's a that's a hard one. Um, (laughs) You know, at, at this point, I think it's been it's been easier for me to experience being on set more often by by working on the production side. Um, You're just too I darn smart, it. right? We we all it's need just, your brains. <laughs> well, and there's just there's no energy like being on set. So True. the shortcut for me was was if if I get the opportunity to be on set more by using you know my logistics skills, then that's what I'm probably going to do because I just I want to be there. Although I have to tell you, if I show up at Village or something, you know most people are concerned because. It, I'm still Uh-oh. bound to my laptop. So usually if I'm going over to Video Village, it's because something went wrong. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yes. You know? um, guys. <laughs> exactly. So, so it's not, I'm not there living in the action quite as much as I would like to be. Right. Um, so in that regard, the acting would be more of the experience that I would enjoy. But I think the reliability and the frequency of being able to get the work working in production is probably the the more safer route to go. Yeah. Because even if you're a successful actor, you still it still comes in waves. You're you're still out there doing your next audition and doing your next self tape as soon as you're done with the one booking. So true. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more stable to be able to work in production and just book out with the agents for a period of time while I'm making a movie and then go back and do my auditions in between. That yeah, that actually makes total sense. Um, is there any like uh, this might not happen in Pinellas County, but is there anybody that you would love to work with that you you know would love to be a part of their film? Um, you know, like a celebrity or something that you just feel like, oh my god, I was on this film with that person. Well, let me think. I mean, there are people like like we have Martin Cove coming in from Cobra Kai for sunscreen. Oh, um, cool! And yeah. I've been talking to him, and he's got some side projects that he's interested in, and you know that always sounds great. I have a, a sci-fi film that I'm working on with uh, Marty Poole, who was the Bernie the Dolphin guy. Yes, yeah. And, you know, he's dropped names. They've talked about like uh, Dave Bautista, who is not in Pinellas County. I think he's Tampa. Okay. But Somebody right. like that would be amazing to work with, especially I've never done a sci-fi movie. Um, so I think somebody like a Dave Bautista would be amazing to work with. And, and yeah, have, yeah, you know, that, you know it's going to happen. Sci-fi. I love putting people on the spot with those kind of questions because there's always so many. And it surprises me how many people are like, I'm doing it already. Like, I, I really am. I'm talking to and I'm meeting. And it really is a matter of just kind of taking those leaps and I've learned in the last few years the value of networking, and it's tremendous. It really is. It really is. I, I wouldn't have had the you know relationship with Marty Poole if if I hadn't worked as his production supervisor on Radar, and you know somebody else comes with a project and a script and he wants to sell it. So of course I would be hired to work on that one. Um, That's cool. Maybe act in it as well, but but yeah, it all comes from networking and just you know having the like minds and being able to to put that vision into action. Do you have any advice for people entering into this industry, just starting out? How would they I, I do? Think, it? I think you already hit it. I think it is if you have an opportunity to be on a set and to network, even if it's as an intern or a PA. 
Um, you know, I know our second AD came on to the first of this slate of movies uh, as a PA just to be on set with us. And people move up. People, you find out what department you're going to be good at, where your skill set fits best, and and you can move up. And of course, that comes with a, a pay bump as well. Yeah. So, but but I think the networking is key. So rather than just you know submitting emails or or continuing to try and just get in at that higher level, don't be afraid to you know be the guy that that has to pass out the waters and take out the trash. Yeah, I kind of have a philosophy that you you need to understand every role if you're going to get into filmmaking not not necessarily for the actors but for those of us that are behind the camera and you know i've 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 tried a little bit of everything so that i can respect and understand what the people around me are doing and and i love that advice a question comes to mind that i've often debated with people you know in, in that indie film level. A lot of us start out, you know, I've been doing this about a decade and a half, but we start out making um, short films. And a lot of us will, you know, we'll have to work for free. And there's kind of a mixed bag about that because some people are, you know, they they will not do it, but they're just starting out. And, I, you know, I always wonder, like, I see a value in doing it if it means, first of all, you're building your credentials you're getting experience because to me, the, the other side of that is if you're not, you could be paying for classes, you know, it's like this double-edged sword, but what do you think about people just getting their feet wet? Even if they're not necessarily being paid initially, they're coming in there as the PA, as the intern. I think there's a lot of value to doing it and, and getting on a real set to do it. Even if you're not getting paid, the experience alone is just going to help you understand exactly how it works so that when you do have an opportunity on set or you have a chance to talk to somebody about working on a set, they know you know what you're talking about. Yeah, it kind of moves you to the next level where you are going to get that paycheck. So I know it's a difficult situation to be in, but I, I saw I did it and I, I see the value of it. Well, I and think even it- on these you know, these low budget films that I'm doing, you know, when my crew isn't, uh, you know, working with me, they're out making their own films. These are all very creative people that have things that they want to do. And and so maybe working on, with me on these projects for, for these out of town producers is something that we do to get a paycheck. But as soon as they're done, they're out making their own stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Because that that's, you know, it's a labor of love, but it's also how we, uh, we rise and we get more done. So do you um, have any projects that are going to release soon that you want to talk about a little bit? So other than the projects that I've worked on for other people, uh, you know, I mentioned Radar will be having a theatrical release at the end of June um, that we just found out. And that's that's Lionsgate. Um, that's, and it's called Radar? It's called Radar, The Adventures of the Bionic Dog. Oh, I love it. That's yeah, cool. it's a kid's movie, but um, it Aww. was picked up. So that one was actually pre-sold to Lionsgate. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's actually called Grindstone, which is a fully owned subsidiary of Lionsgate. But when it comes to legal and deliverables, it's all still Lionsgate. Lionsgate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, is, which can be a challenge in itself. Um, oh, boy. Big other learning that, curve there. Yeah. So a lot of these a lot of these turn over very quickly. Um, you know, the, the distributor for Danny Roth is Real One. Real One Entertainment has, they're just like a juggernaut. So you, you know, you have to have your director's cut in within 10 days when you finish filming. And then the movie's probably out 90 to 120 days later. Wow. 
Um, that it, wow, that's very fast. Ten days. Ten days on the director's cut. Yeah. Okay. And, Whoa. You know, this, the group I'm with right now is is a little bit more flexible, um, but you know their movies are distributed through Artist View Entertainment, so it's a little bit different structure and okay. it's not quite as quick to air as as the ones with Real One, where um, you know I feel like he's almost exclusive with them, except that he's got his hands in other you know arrangements. Right. Uh, right. That's kind of cool. I, so. Radar, The Adventures of the Bionic Dog, um, that a family film. That sounds very cool. Anything else? No, I mean that's it right now. As far as the you know theatrical releases, I, I was also part of the second unit on The Man in the White Van. I'm not sure that that movie's been sold yet. Ah, uh, um, have you ever heard of Legion M before? Yes, I have. I okay, have. so that was that was a a, a Legion M movie. Oh wow. And, okay. Gosh, that one was. That one was so long ago. I wasn't even a production coordinator yet. I was, I think I was the assistant production coordinator. And that that was probably my first time switching from, you know, the acting side over to the production side. Was that scary? What was that like? It was just always writing everything down, every, you know, and and it was, it was the simplest things, making sure we had enough tables and chairs, making sure. You know that we had catering and everybody had a room booked. Um, yeah. It was a lot of the the you know logistics. Yeah, and and some of it would be you know uh, trivial to some people or demeaning to others, but I was happy to do it. I was happy to just get in there and kind of see how it all fits together. Yeah, um, it, it sounds like it was really exciting too. As stressful as it may have been, it sounded kind of cool. I like it. Um, that is cool. So um, anything you want to share, like how can people reach you if they want to hire you to be their UPM or, um, you know, or the company that you're representing? So I work as a loan out right now through Angry Elf Entertainment. Angry Elf Entertainment. Which, okay. Yep. So it's angryelfentertainment.com or you can email me at Cameron at angryelfentertainment.com. Uh, I work, you know, independently as a loan out through that company. I do have other business partners in that business, which we really just created to make our own independent films. So a percentage of what I do for these other filmmakers goes, goes towards back. That. What's that? It goes back to them. It goes back, yeah, to fund the making of our movies. I love uh, it. Because otherwise, yeah, there wouldn't be a budget to get some of these made. And and most of them are just festival run level movies uh but i believe you know eventually we've got a couple of features that we're working in and i think really at the indie level the way to get your foot in the door is is to eventually you have to make a feature you do um, you do i transitioned to that in 2019 and it made a big difference um making feature films means you have a tangible product to sell so yeah and nobody's going to trust you to make their feature if you haven't made a feature you know, that's so true. I wish it wasn't, but it did turn out to be true. Um, yes, you, you've got to have that experience and you've got to understand the end game, which is deliverables, post-production, all that kind of stuff. And uh, still so much to learn. I think as filmmakers, we have to be sponges. Uh, it doesn't stop. There, I don't think there'll ever be a point where we know it all because always something new comes along to kind of, you know, teach us a new thing. So and this, yeah. this last round it, it, was it, the it, pandemic. <laughs> it does. And it, cha it changes so quickly. Everybody's switched, you know, to streaming so quickly. And, 
the market for, you know, the number of options you had available to stream just grew exponentially overnight. Do you think that was a good thing or a bad thing in the end? What do you, do you have any feelings on that? I think they're going to consolidate. I think that that it it went probably a little too far too fast. And there's I think there's too many, right? Uh, yeah, I, it'll, it'll consolidate. Yeah, because I'm finding like when I, when I go to turn on the TV, and and this is crazy because for a while, you know, I was just watching the the Netflix and the Hulu or this or that. But now what happens is there's so many of them. I'm almost missing my cable. <laughs> That might date me a little bit, but yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, this is hard because you've got to subscribe to all of them and pay for all of them. And it's a bit much. So I kind of hope they do consolidate within reason, but also I worry because they're spread. There's so many of them that where somebody's film might have done very well, if there weren't that many, we might get lost in the, I don't, I can't even think of the word, but you might get lost in the masses sort of say i don't know what do you do you see that as i a... couldn't agree more yeah i think okay. one of one of the things where it's great you're happy you got distribution you get it out there and and nobody ever watches it because they don't know it's there because you're one of a million on one of a million channels it's kind of um it's kind of difficult i think in that regard which means even after you get distribution, I think that we have to still be stay marketing people. And uh, it's I think hard. that's exactly right. I think you you have people who do the self-distribution on Prime Direct. Yes. And they're not budgeting properly for the marketing part of it because Prime Direct isn't going to do any marketing for you. No. If you were with a traditional distributor, they would include the advertising. Now they're going to charge you for that, you know, when the revenues come in, but they'll put the money into marketing it for you. Whereas if you do it on Prime Direct, you are your own marketing company. And it's it's very hard. And um it's also it a permanent job. It is. It is. You have to put it out there over and over again. But I but I think yeah. that if you don't budget for that as part of your initial budget, that you're then you know it's it's a lesson learned. Yeah. Cause I know when um you were with me for the first time when I met you, I think it was 2015 or 16. Um, I was doing Transcend and we we had six episodes written, and then a lot of the talent started booking these bigger Hollywood movies. And suddenly I had to do a rewrite and we could only get four episodes done. And we got it done and we put it up. We self-distributed that particular project and it's still on Amazon today. Um, but, you know, at first I I was marketing it and doing all that stuff. And you're right. I did not plan for, oh my God, I have this long-term marketing obligation now with this particular, I need a budget for it. So I, I learned a lot through that experience and I definitely think that people do need to put those dollars for marketing and, you know, for P&A into their their budgets. And I've learned that lesson now. And each each budget we do now, we've got it in there. We're, we're going to, you know, learn from our mistakes. And uh, even when you do have distributors that are supporting you through their advertising, and a lot of those have, they have their caps, 15K, 25K, just depends on the distributor. But um you still need to do your social media marketing. And we didn't necessarily know that going out there. Like I would have thought they would have done it all. And I'm being really honest here right now because, you know, it's a learning experience. And if somebody can learn through my experience, hopefully they'll have a better shot. 
at getting it done right the first time. I've had people sell their rights or, you know, option their rights for a number of years and the distributor doesn't do enough or they don't do anything. And the filmmaker never gets paid anything because it never, you know, it never realized that return to a point where they were actually in the black. Yeah, it's really scary. And it also, it doesn't favor well for you when you go to get your next investor to do your next film. Because what can you show them? And it's definitely a learning experience. And hopefully people will do these proper budgets and follow, you know, all the, the chain of title legal requirements and stuff like that. But I, um, it's still a passion and a labor of love. And I think something that any of us might take a break from, we all come back to because it's in our blood. Right. Yeah, You're absolutely right. Yeah. So you know, the one the one thing that I, I I would recommend, and you may want to consider it for one of yours, is is the incentives in Hillsborough County. The way that they do their contracts is you actually once you have qualified for the incentive, you get a written contract signed by the board of county commissioners, which is oh wow yeah, it's probably the best collateral that you could walk. I mean, you could walk into a bank and use that, you know, because it's a government document, and you could actually use that as collateral to show your talent agents to be able to assign talent to say, hey, not only do we have a budget, but you know we have these contracts with the government that we're going to have this money coming back that can be used to pay your talent. There's a lot of things that you can use the incentives for to help put your investors at ease that they're going to have a portion of their money returned before. That is the- huge. See, in Florida, you know, I haven't filmed over there where I've had a budget where that would benefit me. I've been over here in, um, you know, the other coast, but that would have been huge to know and to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, I could see in the future actually heading over there. You Those come out October. October 1st starts the fiscal year for both Hillsborough and Pinellas. Do they renew um, that every year or are they on a, like a two-year cycle or? They renew no? it every year. So right oh, now wow. the budgets are being, you know, negotiated and and asked for. So I know, you know, Tyler in Hillsborough County is asking up until now, it's always been like half a million for Hillsborough. And I think he's trying to get that up to 1.5 to, you know, be comparable with Pinellas County. God, that'd be great. Uh, does yeah, it get spoken was, for uh, really fast? Have you experienced that? that? The the um well, you said these are rebates, not incentives. Yeah, it's not tax related. It's it's a straight rebate that you get um, based on. Well, so in Pinellas County, it's completely based on the spend. In Hillsborough County, it's based more on the quality of the marketing to not not to tourism like it is in Pinellas, but it's to other filmmakers. So oh, the, wow. value, the value to Tyler is going to be, you know, if you've got something that says, hey, this is a great place to make films, you should come here and make your films. Um, oh. That's what the marketing value is to Hillsborough County. And it's not tied to a dollar amount, but they, you know, the way they do their calculation is based on what it would have cost them to do that promotion. Um, oh, wow. That is so good to know. Um, hmm. That my wheels are turning now. You just you just told me some stuff I didn't know because I hadn't looked in, at it in a few years. Um, yeah, a lot of these films, for that very reason, like all five of the films that I'm working on right now for this Oklahoma company, are getting incentives from both Hillsborough and Pinellas. They're you know putting in social media influencers to make Hillsborough cap you know happy for the uh, marketing value of it. Oh wow! And Pinellas County is where they're spending the the majority of their money because that's what's important to Pinellas County. So you just it's have a to be brilliant. Prepared. They want to know. Way. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 
And you just have to be very detailed because they want to know how many hotel room nights you're spending, how much local talent you're hiring, how much local crew you're hiring. It's all, you know, very detailed so that they can use that to justify renewing the incentives. I love it. And and it's all very important for bringing in that UPM. So you have all of that detail ahead of time. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Cameron, it's been so cool to have you here today talking to us. If you're up for it, I have a little thing I do with each person I interview called Five for Five. And we just ask some crazy, silly questions that um, let people know you a little bit better. All right, let's do it. All right, here we go. All right, question one. What is your favorite food? Ooh, (laughs) either sushi or crab legs. I just can't. Okay. All right. Well, both of those are good, right? Yeah, probably sushi. Okay. Sushi or crab legs it is. Uh, What is your favorite thing to drink after a long day on set? After a long day on set. After, yeah. Because I'm a total Diet Coke addict. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My kids know, like when it it comes to Diet Coke, if anybody drank the Diet Coke, it's going to be me. Okay. Um, Well, yeah. And Diet Coke with like ice is so good, right? Yeah, I love that's, it. That's my go-to. I would I would probably yeah, not do well if I didn't have my Diet Coke. Yeah. Oh, I, I understand that a little too well. Uh okay. Do you still have kids at home? That's not one I of my questions, but my, my daughter kids? at home. Yeah, she's a junior. Okay, well, she's not that little, so I'm gonna ask a different one. All right. Your favorite song to sing at the top of your lungs when you're driving in the car. Hmm. I'm kind of a conservative guy. I don't scream a whole lot, but uh, <laughs> I would say uh, probably, yeah, probably the cult, probably like uh, oh, okay. Firewoman or something like that would be. Those are good. Those are very good. Okay. Uh, favorite movie. This one's hard for me. I think I just default. Goonies would still be my, you know, classic go to. Yeah, just because, you know, when when you're a kid and, you know, that's the kind of cool pirate treasure and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Um, it's a good one. Uh, okay, final question. Final question. What? Yep, final one. There, there's a test later, too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, what is the one thing you have always dreamed of doing but haven't done yet? The one thing I've always dreamed of doing besides being a showrunner? <laughs> Oh, you're, you're, yeah, I, I was thinking like, you know, uh, a rocket ship or, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I do, you know, I do have to admit, I was a little disappointed that Starship blew up yesterday because. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I always tell my wonder- wife we're going to be buried on Mars. Oh, seriously? That, wow. Would you go? I would go. I don't think she'll go. Uh-oh. I mean, that's something to write home about if you can take some paper with you. <laughs> I. I yeah, I just don't think if you go, you're coming back. That's, no, you know. you're not. And I'm pretty sure the mail wouldn't get back either. But okay, so go to Mars. That is the first time I've heard that. That's that's a, a really good one. <laughs> it was just on the top of my head because that Starship launch yesterday. And yeah. Yeah, that, that was pretty incredible. And I was talking to my son about it. I'm like, is that real? Or did they do that on purpose? You know, <laughs> like it was kind of scary because... I mean, I'm going to age myself, but I remember when the space shuttle um, blew up. I think it was in the 90s. And so it frightened me to see that that happened. I was like, please tell me it was planned somehow. But 
I really don't know. So, all right. One more time. How can people find you if they want to hire you as the UPM? It's Cameron at angryelfentertainment.com. Perfect. All right, Cameron, thank you so much for being on the show today. If you guys have something you want to come back and talk to me again, let me know. I'd love to have you back. Sounds great, Renell. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Today's show is sponsored by Jim Kitty, helping women on their health and wellness journey by providing high quality, organically sourced vitamins and supplements. Visit them today at www.jimkitty.net. You've been listening to Movie Making with Renelle Golden. Be sure to come back for our next episode where we bring you the people who make movies you love. Got a topic about filmmaking you want to hear on our podcast? Send us an email at moviemakingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been sponsored by Samara Entertainment.